Hey y'all, good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Nish B, and welcome to the 212, a place for unsolicited advice and opinions. And this week, I decided to take a break. I needed a mental health break. I was going through a lot at home, and I just couldn't figure it out. You know, I spoke to my own soundboard, and I just needed some time to myself. So I took a week off last week. But the good news about that is this week you guys get two because I ain't no slacking asshole. You feel me? (laughs) So I made sure I read up and I gave y'all what y'all wanted. Um, I got to do a lot of interviews in my downtime. I got to do some uh, summer cleaning up. Um, We're welcoming cancer season. And, you know, we just got to get the focus right because outside is opening back up. And, you know, things are changing and I want to be on the right track. I want to be scheduled and I want to be, you know, disciplined. And I want to make sure that I'm giving you guys the content that you're waiting on. And I want to give y'all the best product that I can. I want to apologize for the fireworks that are in the background. I'm sure all of y'all are accustomed to it by now. It's after 8 or before 4 a.m. We're going to be hearing some firecrackers, right? So um, now that we got all of that out the way, I want to remind you guys that you guys can be going on to the Anchor app and leaving me messages for me to reply to on my episodes. Um, you can also leave me messages via DM or email um, at the 212 on Instagram or the 212 at gmail.com. You can be sending me your situations, your questions so that I can answer them on the air. And um, we're going to get into this one now. Um, I had a conversation over the phone, actually, and I'm used to having these conversations in person because uh, it makes the conversation flow a little better. But I've had interactions with this person prior to this. I've been a guest on her show, on her live. I've listened to her podcast. So, you know, we have a little friendship dwelling right now. She's actually a friend of mine through other mutual friends. Her name is Jazz August. And we had an amazing conversation about Black femininity, about relationships, the role of a mother. And I really want to just get into it so that you guys can vibe out. Um, We started a conversation about how she wanted her life to look like in a couple of years. So let's tune in and see what she thought. What would you like old age to look like? Oh, I like that question. I've never been asked that before. Um, what would I like old age to look like? I would like to be in a beautiful home with a big front yard and backyard like area where I can garden and sit outside and Meditation and whatever that looks like at that time, and then I got that. Hopefully, my life partner, my husband, will still be 
Mm-hmm. Husband would be as well, right? Because that's not that doesn't happen too often. Husband normally goes first. Yeah. yeah, husband goes first. Wife dies maybe a couple of years later from heartbreak, but mm, right, <sighs> that's good. I think in in my picture too it was the same way. Like you know, just family. I want to have my kids around. I want to have the love of my life. I want to still be able to travel. Of course, be able yeah. to have a foundation. Like be like, oh, we go to grandma's house, like. I want my, you know, my family to to really bask in that. All right. Hey, y'all. So uh, not to tap in too quick, but I just wanted to connect the dialogue here. Um, I thought it was funny that both of us were on the same accord, whereas we wanted our family to be involved. We wanted children. We wanted to be the... um, matriarch of the family for our family to come over and we dreamt of having our relationships last until old age and we even thought of like hey I would love to roll a tree in the breeze you know what I'm saying like these are the things that women think about when we think of old age and I've asked this question um I've asked this question with guys on my podcast and I've gotten way different answers like with uh, my episode last two weeks ago with Fly and we were recognizing our privilege, I asked him, what does he see his life like? And his answer was, oh, I would like to, you know, create opportunities for myself and other people around me in my community. And it's so vast and it's amazing for him to think of, but I just wanted to point out the difference in what we see as ideal across the genders. What changes could we make that would reduce our level of stress? You mean as humanity or I guess black uh, people? Yeah, let's let's use it from the scope of black women. How about that? A black woman. What changes could black women make that would reduce our level of stress? So, oh, I think the change that we can make is. Um, letting go of this idea that we can control things. And when I say that, I mean, like, a lot of black women feel that, you know, if they do this, then their child's father would do things right. If they do this, then their, you know, wayward Mm -hmm. daughter or son would be right. So releasing that control of thinking you can change, fix, or heal anybody Mm -hmm. or anything. Um, Mm -hmm. And that that would take a level, if you take away... We give away the responsibility and we give away the stress of the responsibility. The burden of the responsibility is not ours to carry. So I think that that would greatly help black women. Like a let go and let God kind of situation. Yeah. Releasing responsibility of of and for others. I I, I feel you. I understand why we do it, though. I understand why we do it. You know, the expectation of always having to be on or having to cross your T's and dot your I's, you know, always having to be on point, you know? I get why we do it, but it's a burden that we don't got to carry. It's a burden we don't have to carry. I agree. That was a good one. Dang. I fully enjoyed that snippet. And um, I feel like it resonated with me a lot because 
I find myself being stressed out or in situations where uh, I feel like I need to be in control. And I like that Jazz said that because it reminds me like, you know, of all the times where I felt like I needed to be nurturing or I needed to be a therapist or I needed to be anything, you know, to be of use. You know what I'm saying? And I give myself the stress. But I understand, like I said, I understand why Black women have that stress. It's like we have to be the the person who takes the hit first. Like we have to be the person who protects the family, who's nurturing, who's making sure that their man is okay, you know, making sure everyone is fed, everybody is cleaned, everybody, you know what I'm saying? We always have to be crossing our T's and dotting our I's and it becomes a weight. It becomes a burden. Like I'm tired of always having to do this. I'm tired of always having to smile when I'm not happy. I'm tired of having to make myself small so I don't become this aggressive woman or I don't come off as someone who I don't want to be. You know what I'm saying? So we're carrying this burden constantly and we're feeling the stress constantly and I can't say that it's our own fault because, you know, it's wrapped into society of how we should be acting or how we should talk or how we should carry ourselves or, you know what I'm saying? So it's a, a stress that we're living with day to day. And for me, at least, um, if I were to answer the question, like, how can we re- reduce our stress? It would be similar to jazz. It would just be like, you know, you have to be able to release, relieve yourself of the pressure that's going on. Like you have to be able to take a step back and say, yo, you need to cool off. You need a break. You need a timeout. This is for you. Do something good for yourself. You know what I'm saying? You have to give yourself those relief moments because without that, we're just going to be tensed up. We're going to be people that we're not. And at the end of the day, it's only hurting us. And I felt like because we were talking about stressors and reducing our level of stress and us, you know, always controlling a situation or always having to be that person, I think that eased us into the conversation of relationships. So I want you guys to tune in. I also asked this question on my um, Instagram and I received poll answers for it. So I am going to see what Jazz said and I'll come back and I'll tell you what the results of the viewers on Instagram said. Is passion or comfort more important in a relationship? Is passion or comfort more important in a relationship? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Uh, because now I'm thinking. Oh, trying to choose between the two because I think both are vital. Mm -hmm. But I would probably say passion. I'll probably say passion because life makes more comfortable at different times and Comfort can also be the greatest threat to progress. Mm-hmm. Like being comfortable, ease, you know, that that emotion is a, it feels good to us, but it's not it's not a catalyst for change. It's not a catalyst for progression. To really progress you have to be made uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say although comfort feels really, really good in a relationship, if I had to choose the vitality between the two, I would say passion because when you have a passion for the person that you're with or the relationship that you're in, passion is fire. It's, it's an undying fire. It's like, if we always have passion in our relationship, then I think that we can, you know, face any issue, trouble, 
level of comfortability or uncomfortability, like those things, those things can all remedy by passion. So I think that passion is definitely more important in a relationship. Hmm. Because when I read it initially, I said comfort only in the aspect of because when you're comfortable, you're vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, you can always have that passion. You get what I'm saying? Like if I'm vulnerable enough to tell you, at least I can be passionate without the the feeling of like, oh, this person doesn't. Because, okay, this is how I saw it in my head. In passion, you can still not know someone. You can be passionate. You can have passion and have a lust. You can have a flame with someone or be excited about someone, but still not know someone. So in comfort, it, to me, it was like, oh, the vulnerability of comfort allows you to be in a more, to me, it would make it more important in a relationship. Like, are you vulnerable with me? Are we able to communicate? Are we comfortable with each other? That's how I saw comfort. And it's okay. funny how you saw comfort and you was like, nah, because <laughs> if you're comfortable, then yeah, because it has this pro and this con, but. I, I think, and I, and I appreciate your perspective and how you, like, how you do the question. Because I feel like this, that question is really, it's an incredible question because there's no wrong answer. Right. Like, I think it's, it, that's, that's the good thing about probably the person who puts you that, that deck of cards together is that, like, the person probably, or the person, the writers, probably sat around was like, what a question that really will bring conversation and it won't necessarily be right or wrong. And I just wanted to add this real quick before I forget it. You know, something I'm learning in the last couple of months is like you really become powerful when you release the need to be right period like Mm -hmm. I can have my perspective but my perspective doesn't have to be right Mm -hmm. like I can I can have a conversation with someone but the whole conversation is not me trying to be right Mm -hmm. I'm coming to the conversation more so to experience with this person because I know what I know right Mm -hmm. like you know it just made me think about my first even just as you shared your your perspective on choosing comfort, my first reaction was to try to convince you that it was passion. That was the shit that I was going to say, okay, so I like, I like this stuff, but mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about But then I stopped myself and I said, no, because I know what I know. I know mm-hmm. that that's what I got from that. But what, how small of me is it to want everybody to only speak and converse about what I know and what I feel right. versus come into a conversation open to hear what somebody else feels and will give me a, a, a wider perspective on the topic on the question or whatever so I really appreciate that and I think that's something that we can we can just learn from in general whether it's a- all right y'all so now I'm gonna give y'all what the results said so I asked my Instagram is passion or comfort more important in a relationship? And 75% answered, passion is more important in a relationship. Now, I'm going to stay firm on comfort being my answer, right? Because to me, you have to have a level of comfort to be vulnerable. You need to be comfortable to you know, have a trust. Uh, that's how I feel. But I can understand how comfort can look like a con, I can understand how it may seem like, oh, if you're too comfortable, then you're going to fall off. Or It's funny how you can see those things in different lights. But I respected Jazz when she said, you know what? My first instinct was to tell you you were wrong. But we have to give up that sense of control. We have to be able to say, you know what? 
Not even that I agree to disagree, but I'm here to just listen. I'm here to experience. And I feel like that's also a common topic right now, especially with what's going on in the world with Black Lives Matter and so many people not knowing our history and so much newfound knowledge and information. People find it hard to find the information or find the resources themselves. And we're having conversations with our peers where it becomes a battle of you don't know enough or you know too much or you think you're woke or you can't. But we have to give up that need or that necessity to be right. It should be a teaching moment. We shouldn't be condescending. We shouldn't feel like it's taking time out of us to enlighten someone. But on the same fold, we still need to be proactive. Like, listen, this is what I want to learn. So I'm going to take the extra steps to learn it. I'm going to check the Google. I'm not going to hit up this person. We have to be able to say, all right, I don't need to be right in this instance. I just need to experience what's going on. I don't need to combat you or debate you about how you feel or how I feel, but we can both have our own opinions. You get what I'm saying? So I thought it was very powerful that she put that after the conversation that we were having about passion and comfort because I saw it as one way and she saw it as another way, but I'm glad she could reassure and say like, you know, I'm just here to experience. I'm not here to tell you that you're right or you're wrong because we can't say that in that situation. And I don't feel like women are using that opportunity to say that to each other these days because there's so much competition. We're competing at the workplace. We're competing again about men. We're competing who makes more money. We're competing about my hair looks better than yours. My shoes look better than yours. I dress better than you. My niggas spending more bread than you. Like, we're competing constantly and we don't need we don't need that accolade to one up each other and i think that's very important to keep in mind to keep repeating we need to give up the need to be right because i've been in several arguments where it's like yeah we going back and forth yeah we arguing we arguing and yes i know i'm right but we, i'm not about to win this argument it's not about to make this change any differently it's not about to be any better so I just wanted to make sure that we were all on the same page with that because it's very important. It's very important to make sure that women are hearing that we need to relieve ourselves from the need to be right. Okay. All right. So I wanted to know, how do you feel femininity looks like as a black woman what does femininity look like as a black woman yeah oh great questions too Uh, all the great questions on this beautiful (laughs) sunday um what does femininity look like to me as a black woman because i feel like it's different and i felt like i needed to add the as a black woman at the end because i feel like it has a different um it, it has different qualities in different people Mm-hmm. It's not defined how society or American culture. I would say I can only speak for because I'm American. Mm-hmm. American culture tries to very, very blatantly show us white femininity right. as soft, um, you know, being able to be gentle and fragile, and also shows white women as we see all these action figure white women like 
kicking ass, you know, Kill Bill, like those type of images in movies and TV shows, etc. And then when you show black femininity, it's it's very very masculine of how it's how it's shown in the media. It's shown to make black women seem and be the men of their race or our race and our culture. And I think that as a black woman, it's difficult because there is a level of masculinity to us because we are, we, one, had to take the responsibility of certain gender roles that would, would be, or, or responsibilities that would usually be assigned to a man. We had to um, take one of those responsibilities because of mass incarceration, because of genocide of black men. Right, the destroying of, of the black, black family. Etc., etc., right? So we had, it's by force had to literally take on assignments that were not by gender assignments. So thus making us more masculine just by pure nature of our circumstances. However, black women, I think which, which something that could have been as in my face would say, you know, God can use everything um, that was meant for evil and turn around and use it for good. Mm-hmm. And what was meant for evil, right, to, to make the black woman more masculine, to take away her softness and her femininity, has it really it kind of turned us into a hybrid. Because mm-hmm. just that tough, to feel be, like we need that we toughness can, in us. Yeah, we can we can be we can be both tough and comforting at the same time. We can be both nurturer and disciplinarian. We can be both things simultaneously. That I don't think that all women can be and it, it kind of like just in this moment saying it it kind of leads me to this thought of like how we li- really live in a patriarchal society but mm-hmm. like spirit tells me that the woman it's, it's a it's a feminine scene that's really the the superior even in that even as young as two and three years old when we're hearing about Adam and Eve, I think even that has uh, an effect on how we view femininity. Because from mm-hmm. if I, if even in our earliest days we're hearing we were only created off of the rib of a man, we're going to feel like our man is our leader, our man is our provider. It begins these gender roles. It begins the whole mindset that we have from toddler. From toddler mm-hmm. stage. You get what I'm saying? So we're... Right. Me, me at my big age of 30 now, this has been something that's been repeated for 365 days of the year, for 30 years of my life. For You know what I'm saying? This is a culture that we're in. So for me to define my femininity, I'm going to base it off of the gaze of a man. I'm going to constantly think like, is this what a man would like me to do? Is this how I should be seen? Is this the light I should be in? Would my father approve of this? You get what I'm saying? So I feel like our femininity, even... Even if our mother is our bestie, even if we listen to powerful women constantly and we're constantly being told the feminist way to live our lives, we're still constantly thinking like, is this being shown in a great light? <laughs> is my... You still want the approval of a man. Right, man, right, man. right. And mm-hmm. even even in the smallest, even in the smallest instances, something even the smallest bit, like if a man told me he liked my eyebrows today, I might do my eyebrows like that for a month. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that femininity in general is being 
distorted by so many people just because there are some people who will look at it from the gaze of a man some people will look at it from the gaze of a of a happy female which we all should we should just all look at it as femininity as this is who i am when i'm most happy this is me when i'm most feminine but we don't always look at it that way Mm yeah i agree all right so In that clip, we just defined what Black femininity looks like. And I thought it was funny that I had to emphasize that, just like how I would do a Google search and i say, you know, middle part on women. No, backspace, backspace, middle part on Black women. You know, you got to make sure your search is correct. You have to add it the correct way so you can get the right answers, right? So what does femininity look like in Black women? And if I was to say that off the top of my head, I'd probably say... The most feminine woman I know would probably be somebody soft or somebody dainty. I'd probably say like, I don't know, Naomi Campbell, just because she's a top model. Like she's showing poise and, you know, she's beautiful. And that's what people would see as femininity. Um, But if I was being dead ass and somebody asked me, like, what do you think is a strong black woman? What do you define as a feminine black woman? I would say Angela Davis. I would say, you know, um, Tamika, what's Tamika's last name? <laughs> Tamika, let me get you, Tamika Mallory. I would say, um, you know, that's what's feminine to me. Somebody who's speaking up for the rights of not only women, but of Black people, period. Somebody who's so nurturing, somebody who's so calming. But when we look at the media, we're looking at, what Mona Scott is putting on TV, these crazy women. So people can look at us on a TV and say, look at these crazy black women. Look how they act when such and such happens. Or look at how their men treats them. Or I don't like it. I don't like that when black women are in roles and they're getting these great Grammys and these great Grammys, they're getting these great Oscars and these Tony Awards and these Emmys, they're over-sexualizing these roles. They're slaves in these roles. They're prostitutes in these roles. I don't, it's very rare that I see black women serving as the main hero, like a Charlie's Angels or a Kill Bill, like how Jazz was saying. Like, we are only given one image of how black women are, and it's either aggressive and strong or provocative and sexy. And that's the only way that we can view femininity. And if you view femininity as the Angela Davis or the Tamika Mallory's now, or the, you know, um, um, we're now looking at it from the gaze of, oh, this is a strong black woman. And then we can get our negatives from that as well. Like, this is how strong black women operate. They're always angry. They're always aggressive. When no, I'm just being assertive. No, I'm just getting my point across. No, this is just how I act when I'm passionate. We don't really get to see positive examples of black women being passionate and it being labeled as so. We're normally getting these ideas of how Black women are through media on VH1 or in movies, or you know what I'm saying, or in music. We're hearing about what women should be from the gaze of a man, from the patriarchal society that we're living in. So is that really a fair enough or real enough definition of what Black femininity should be? That's why I ended it like, nah, femininity is just when I'm in my most happiest space, that's when I'm most feminine. 
I've had conversations with men where men see me and I can automatically be the bro. I'm automatically the nigga in the group. Like I'm no longer the girl that's standing right here because I either know too much, I'm speaking too much, I'm saying too much truth, or it's just my slang or my jargon. This is how I talk to my niggas. This is how I talk. And men will denounce me as you just one of the bros or you just a nigga because they're comfortable around me. You get what I'm saying? They can't they can't equate that level of, oh, she behaves this way because we're comfortable, we're equals. It's more like, nah, you the bro. I can't fuck with you because you're not moving like a feminine woman. And I see that as problematic now because a man shouldn't define who I am as a woman. And I shouldn't allow that to happen. And because so many of us are allowing it to happen, we are also believing what they're saying, which is an advantage for them, (laughs) as the truth. And we're becoming these objects that they need us to be. You get what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm saying this to pressure women into feeling like themselves, to being their most happy, not to question who they really are based on what the gaze of a man is saying. I agree, for sure. I was having a conversation with one of my students the other day. She just graduated, and it's crazy because I, I teach sixth grade. So when they graduate, okay. I feel like my babies are gone. Like, they're out the way now. Like, oh, my God. Like, it's a it's a big thing for me, right? So she called me yeah. yesterday, and she's like, yeah, Miss Tanisha, I'm going to high school now. And I'm still not going to pay attention to no boys, but I feel like she used that for, like, trigger bait for me. Like, okay. <laughs> she wanted me to say something. So I'm like, girl... These boys ain't nothing to be thinking about right now. They ain't going to be nothing to be thinking about in 10th grade, in 11th grade, or 12th grade. They still ain't nothing for me to think about right now, and I'm 30. Like, I'm like, girl, don't even... But for her to even process that, like, yo, I'm getting older, and I'm going to let you know, like, hey, I might talk to a boy. Like, even the thought of that, like, hey, I'm getting older, and now... she, The first thought process wasn't, Oh, I'm in doing this is the stepping stone for me to become a blah blah blah. Or I'm so excited to meet new friends because of blah blah blah. Her first thing was, and I'm not gonna be talking boys. to no boys. Time for men. I, I I wanna I definitely wanna add something to that because it's twofold, right? Two things that you that you displayed or that I kind of picked up on from the story you just shared. One was that yes, as a young girl, automatically I'm not so I'm like, am I gonna have my first boyfriend or a boy's gonna be attracted to me? Are they gonna like me? Am I gonna be a desirable girl? Everything mm-hmm. is really evol- revolving around boys, 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 boys. Mm-hmm. So, group to there. The second thing is just how you said to her, which is very important that we have to be, I think in this next generation, we have to be very careful about it because we grew up under under that rhetoric in our generation. Mm-hmm. And that's what you just what you said to her. Boys ain't, listen, don't worry about boys. Boys gonna be doing the design 11th and 12th grade and, and whatever. And that's all we all heard. Don't worry about boys. Boys are silly. Don't pay them no mind. Don't blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I heard this girl, I heard this, this woman rather. So I'm trying to get my thoughts together. So the first thing about that is we got to stop saying that to girls and we got to stop saying that to boys because they don't let go of it and we don't let go of it. Mm-hmm. 
they don't let go of the idea that they don't have to be shit and they don't have to be live up to the standard or be a be a, a good man because boys will be boys, right? Like the quote says, boys will be boys. So they feel they feel affirmed and they feel encouraged in their behavior of being, you know, they was a fuck boy, right? We're not saying fuck boy at sixth grade. Something else, that's essentially what we say when they turn 30 and they act the same way. Mm-hmm. Now they're a fuck boy. When they were 12, it was just boys would be boys. But how can they learn that that behavior should ever be tolerated even when you're 12? And that, yes, you are not, you're not mature enough to lead a woman or have a family or, you know, you just be preserving your body just as a woman, a young girl should be preserving her body, et cetera, et cetera. We don't tell boys that. So we, we plant the seed in our girl's mind, myself, the seed was planted in my head, the seed was planted in your head, mm-hmm. and then the seed was planted, and not, and not negatively, right? This was all done out of love. Mm-hmm. The older women in our families, our teachers, our big sisters, our mothers, our aunts, whatever, told us this as a, as a means of protection. Right. Like, don't worry about boys, because it's like, I want to protect you from being hurt by a boy. Mm-hmm. I want to protect you from heartbreak. I want to protect you from this. But we can't. That's a problem, and that's and then we tell you, or conversely, with the problem when it comes to women, because then when you become our age, now we gotta try to flip that switch from don't focus on boys, don't focus on boys, don't get pregnant, don't to now all of a sudden it's find a husband, find a husband, right? Get pregnant, and now everything. I'm too focused, and it's, and it's nobody tells us how to how to switch, turn that right. switch, and a, a girl, a lady, I keep calling her a girl, but a lady wrote a book about it, and it's called um something like. I forget the name of it, but her name is Erica Pittman. You can look it up. Um, it's her, her novel that she wrote, essentially telling a story about being a good girl and growing up and always saying, don't worry about boys, don't have sex, don't do this, don't do that. And then she said as she got older, she's like in her late 20s and her 30s, and she's like, but now everybody's pressuring me to find a man, to do that, and nobody's really telling me how. And my thing is, my own personal thought on this is that we shouldn't plant the seed at all into the woman's head and the young woman's head and we shouldn't plant the seed into the young man's head we should plant the seed into the young man's head that you should be respectable you shouldn't you should respect every young girl that comes by your way and although you may not be able to really grasp what that means because your brain hasn't evolved to that point but just know at some point in your life you're gonna you're gonna recall what i just said to you and it'll make sense in the meantime just be a young a young man of integrity. Be honest with every woman that you come mm-hmm. across. Find a female attractive. You know, you go naturally at twelve years old. We know we saw cute boys and boys saw cute girls. But see, keep these boys, see these women as just as um, just as important as you. Their heart is just as important as yours. Their life is important as you. Respect them how you would want your mother respect. Them. Oh, absolutely, and I. To them. You know, we have to, and don't give them no pass on the boys will be boys. And then when it comes to our girls, we can't, we can't give them that their first, their first introduction about boys. And think about all of. I probably could speak for every single person that's in our age. Our first introduction about boys is don't trust them, don't do nothing with them, mm-hmm. don't try to stay away from them. They bring trouble. You won't get into arguments and fights with other girls over them. Don't get into no fight over no boy. Don't. These are all the things that we're taught immediately. When we first get, you better not have no boyfriend. You right. better not be looking at no boy. Right. And it's like, it's counterintuitive, though, because young girls become young women, and now they don't know how to interact with Right. Yeah. But just to 
just to let the listeners listeners know, I wasn't telling her not to speak to boys. I wanted her. I encouraged her being friends with boys, but at this point in her life right now, I was not encouraging her to be seeking a relationship with whoever she met at her new high school. Absolutely not. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, no, no, no. No, it's just, definitely. No, thank you for clarifying. Yeah. I, mean, I wasn't. I was really just taking your story as an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I completely got where you was going yeah. with it. No, completely get it because, boy, girl, for us to tell girls to say, "Hey, don't worry about them. Don't picture them. Don't talk to them right now," is just to say, boys are acting up and they're allowed to do so. So just catch them at a later date. That's what it sounds mm-hmm. like when you tell women, when you tell young girls don't worry about boys right now and then they're left at 22 right. 23 after they're leaving college now like yeah these boys are still stupid it's because nobody fixed the boys behavior from the go nobody's yeah. telling the boys no this is not how you're supposed to behave behave like how you respect a woman you know what i'm saying but i think that yeah. behavior is also learned once they are normalizing that boys and girls can be friends and i oh, feel yeah. like and I feel like there are so many men, even at my age, that just still cannot normalize a man and a woman being friends. Because I have a lot of male friends. And when other guys see us out, it's like, oh, y'all are having sex? Like, first off, mind your business. <laughs> first off, first off, mind your business. Because first off, why do you even feel like you can talk to me about my sex life? That's one. And we can get into that about black femininity, too, because the hypersexuality. Right, right. For you to even feel like you can even ask me that question. Okay, but for you to even see us as friends and then have to assume like y'all must be having sex because y'all are friends. You know what I'm saying? Like we need to normalize boys and girls being friends. And that needs to be a conversation in the homes of boy moms and and boy dads. Like, hey, no, it's okay for you to have a friend that you do absolutely nothing with but have commonalities. That's cool. That's fine. But I think we're so hell-bent on the, no, your girl, you can't have boys over. No, you, this my house is not a brothel. You can't have no girls over. I can't, boys and girls don't normally have that personal me time unless it's like, yo, less, unless it's scheduled, unless it's, at a young age, you can't do that. You can't just, yeah, you know. It took a while for me to have yeah, male that's, friends. That's difficult. You know, that's difficult to remember because you do have to, like, it's, it's hard, and I think as we get older and we, like, talk about, like, things to build children up, and I don't have children yet, I don't know if you have children, no, but... I don't have kids. I, so both of us not having children yet, but we're obviously, I know for myself, I'm, you know, just looking at, thinking about how, how what kind of parent I want to be, how I want to parent a child, how I want to steward over an entire person's life something as big as that I want to be as prepared as possible right. God bless me with my child and I now as an adult we're realizing how freaking difficult this shit is mm-hmm. and like we don't even have kids yet we're just talking about it in, theoretically right and it's like damn what do you do in that situation because you're right you want boys and girls to force their platonic friendships they, they can but then when they're 12 and 11 there's hormones involved and they might just want to touch and feel and do right. things that they may not think is wrong, but it can be damaging to them emotionally, spiritually, physically when they're a little bit older, reflecting on that time they were touched or they touched somebody in a right. at that age. You know what I mean? Right. So you definitely like, still want to, you definitely still want to protect your child, whereas nothing is. And you have to, you have to be able to set the boundary because me, 
in like I'm saying only in theory, only hypothetically, because I don't have no kids, I would say right. I would want my daughter to say, "Hey, Brian or so and so is coming over here. We just chilling. We just watching BT right now, ma, or we just playing video games, or we just doing homework." Okay, cool. Leave the door open, and I'm in the kitchen. Holler at me if you need me. I want to be able right. to, you know, have a boundary and still be a parent in the in the same. In the same breath, like, I understand you're growing. I understand your progression, but I'm still your mama. And I want the door to be open. And I'm cool with him being there, but I'm in the kitchen. Let me know. And I like that idea. I like that idea a lot. That that gave me ideas to have with my child. Like, yeah, you know, we have a family room or a den or a basement. Right. You know, an area where they can still be monitored. But allowing them, I think... All right now, so just to wrap up what we were talking about, um, Jazz made an amazing point here where, um, which so many of us have experienced where we're speaking to elder women or um, we're speaking to our peers and we're reciting the same line. Like, you know, don't worry about those boys. Wait till you're older and worry about those boys later because these boys are going to be the same. The problem in that statement, even though our intention is well, is that we're not holding these boys accountable at their young age. We're not nipping it in the bud from their young age, and we're not changing behaviors from their young age. We're not teaching young girls that, no, it's not that he's immature. He's just not respecting you. So we have girls growing older into 25, 26, 27 now, and they don't know how they should be treated. They're used to, oh, yeah, no, they still immature until they 40. No, girl, somebody should have nipped it in the bud when he was 14, but nobody did. And nobody told you that you should have been respected from third grade, from fourth grade, from fifth grade, when they was being immature. You should have put your foot down or, no, I'm not talking to you, boy, because you don't respect me. There are not enough parents teaching that. Instead, we're teaching them to avoid each other. And for me, at least, I can only speak, you know, theoretically, like I said in the clip, I don't have any children. However, if when I do, I shouldn't say F because I really do want kids. So when I do, I would be teaching my, you know, my son how to treat women from an early age. I'd be treating my daughter to say, you know, you can have male friends. You can be in my house with a male friend and I will not feel no ways as long as we both establish our boundaries. Hey, I need you to have the door open. You know what I'm saying? Or, hey, y'all can only be kicking it for an hour and a half and he gonna have to go home. Or, you know what I'm saying? I need to be able to set those boundaries with my child. So she knows how far it can go. So she doesn't feel restricted where she's running out the house to go do it on her own. And she feels comfortable enough to come to me to say, hey, mom, this is just my friend. This is what we talk about. This is what I like about him. Or, hey, I would like for this to be my boyfriend. These are the conversations that we've had. But at least I know as a mother that I made space for my daughter to feel comfortable around this boy. And I also made sure that he knows that he has to respect my daughter. You know what I'm saying? I know that he's a good guy. He's a he's raised right that his parents held him accountable at a young age because that's what I would want for my daughter. And because I would want that for my daughter, I'm also teaching my daughter how to receive respect and how it should be for her. You get what I'm saying? So I'm I'm asking, not even I'm telling parents, you know what I'm saying? I'm I'm saying to you guys how important it is to emphasize the importance of platonic relationships. Because even now, when I'm dating now, I can say to my partner confidently, listen, 
This is my best friend. This is the father of my godchild. This is, you know what I'm saying? I have to be able to stand tall in that. Like, no, this is what it is. I need you to respect that because, you know, this is my friend. He's been here before you. He's going to be here after you. And that's just what it is. And that needs to be respected. And it shouldn't be assumed that I'm dealing with him on the side or it needs to be normalized in society where men and women can just be platonic friends and that just be it. And that just be it. So it's not that I'm, you know, my intent is definitely to let her know at ninth grade, you're not getting no boyfriend when you get up in there. Cause that's just me as a teacher, as a counselor, as an educator. But the insight of jazz to say, you know what, Nish, you can't really say that to her because think about all the women that we know. Think about all of our peers who were, who are unprepared to deal with men at this age because they know nothing about how men behave. They have, they know nothing about how men communicate. They know nothing about how men socialize. So I'm saying this to you guys because I didn't get this conversation from my mother. And this is something that I would, I need my daughter to know, you know, to stand tall, you know, 10 toes down, make sure that you get respected, make sure that if it's anything less of that, that you out of there, make sure that you show your worth, make sure that you, you're showing self-love and self-respect. These are the virtues that we need to be making sure that our kids know. It's the, yes, you're beautiful. Yes, you're smart. But I'm glad that you respect yourself. I'm glad you have love for yourself. You know what I'm saying? These are the things that matters. And it's not about, you know, I need to be strict to make sure that my kid is okay because they're going to do whatever they want to do. We all know that. It don't matter what kind of curfew you got. You're going to get your bump and grind in before you get home. It don't matter if your mother told took you 3.5 eight times in high school, you want to smoke with your friends at your friend's house. You want to accommodate. You know what I'm saying? So you ha- need to be able to say, listen, these are the rules I'm setting. These are the boundaries I'm setting for my kid. This is how I want it to pan out. And all you can be is the nurturer to a seed. The seed is going to react exactly how it's supposed to. It's the plant is going to grow. You just have to make the good environment. that my mom did with me that I would definitely do with my child is my mother didn't my mother didn't show to me she we had open conversations and it was it was always she always respected my opinion and she always kind of gave me autonomy and and not in a way where it was like oh do whatever you want but it was in a way of like we made decisions together, even from a young age, mm-hmm. right? I can think about times when when I was in seventh grade and I was in a public school, but they was making it mandatory that we wear uniforms. Mm-hmm. And I came home and I said to my mother, I said, Mom, I said, first off, I just left a school, which was kind of like a private school, a specialized school, where I had to wear uniform and I signed up for that. But when I came to this public school, I didn't want to wear uniform. We are we already wore clothes. We already did not. I want to express myself the way I dress. And I said, how can a public school mandate that children wear black and white was the color that we had to wear? So that's so bland. That's like that's like jail. This is me at, at twelve years old. This mm-hmm. is so bland. This is so whatever. I said, let's look up the bylaws. I have a mother look up the bylaws of New York City schools and what public school can and cannot mandate. And we found the rules which most kids at that age, most parents, right, was that 
you wearing black and white and that's what right you're they said that's that you gotta wear black and white i'm not going through this yeah then i'm not going through the shit i'm going to get you a white shirt and black pants that you're wearing and and then most kids probably don't they have it because they wasn't empowered at home don't think for themselves they only they whatever the teacher say whatever their mother say that's what they do and that's a very limiting way to raise a child in my opinion as well because with my mother giving me that range to always speak my mind and to always be the person to challenge things and if I didn't feel like it was right or if I wasn't comfortable with it she also supported me in that and and, and to, to kind of give you the conclusion to that story I ended up coming back to school. We had a meeting with the vice principal. Ooh. And me and my mother sat down with the bylaws. My mother said, my daughter wants to express herself through her clothing. And this is a public school. And by law, cannot mandate that the students wear. And these are the laws that we found, et cetera, et cetera. And they couldn't, they couldn't argue me it. They couldn't. And what ended up happening is I kept, I wear my regular clothes and they like to speak. And then a teacher came to me and said, that's me, you're like you're a leader, you're important in this class, you're one of my brightest students. You set the tone for the other students. And what you do when you don't wear the same colors that they wear is you make yourself separate from them. And I want you to be a part of them. And when when he put it to me like that, I wore I did start wearing my uniform and I wore it because I chose to, not because they were mandating me to, and I understood I understood the purpose in it. But you got to yeah. explain the purpose to me. I never, from a kid, you can't just tell me something and I'm just going to do it. Or right. It. You got to tell me why it has to resonate with me and right. then I can do it. Right. Outside of that, I can't. And, and once you can't just sell me on something. broke it down to me like that, I was able to resonate with it and then I acquiesced and I did with it. But not without challenging it first and not without two weeks again, all my flash shit off, I had to go. I had diesels. I had all kind of shit my mother had just bought. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm wearing my, I'm wearing my outfit. So right. I got all my little outfits thrown up, and then I wore uniform for the rest of the time. I fuck with that, but at least you had yeah. a, at least you had somebody who believed in you. A lot of mothers are really only the person who birthed you. You know what I'm saying? A lot of women don't have mothers that give their daughters a voice, and from yeah. even in an instance like that as young as 12 or 11 years old when you're having this conversation with your mother your mother could have shut you down in that one instance and that could have changed your perspective on how your voice should be heard for the rest of your life Mm, you get what I'm saying so a lot of women don't even have that opportunity where they're like I have a black woman that's in my corner and I know what strength can look like without me being ridiculed for it I know what my voice sounds like and I know the impact that my voice has when I speak you know what I'm saying? A lot of women don't even have that faith in themselves that they know the power in their own voice. Because you have to also remember that there are women that are only being objects of usage. You know what I'm saying? They're only being yeah. the person being used. They're not getting the opportunity to be of use to someone. You know what I'm saying? To be like, I, my voice is being heard for something. I'm being acknowledged for this. I am powerful. Some people don't have that. They're only being used for what they can be used for. So when you have somebody yeah. in your corner like, oh, no, you can do this, girl. Like, I, I, I'm I, backing you and saying your voice is powerful. You can be heard and I'm not going to belittle you for doing so. You can right. grow like that and you can also teach your, your child now. You can teach other children. You can have teachable moments with your friends. Like, no, girl, make your voice be heard. Right. You can stand up because you can think about all your counterparts who can't even speak up to their boyfriend. 
can't speak up to their friends, can't talk to the people yeah. at their job just because they feel like their voice can't be heard. All right, y'all. So just to touch on that last clip, um, I want to commend mothers like Jazz's mom. You know what I'm saying? I don't think that we all get the opportunity to be blessed with a woman like that in our um, in our lives, especially in our youth. Um, I think it's so important for women to encourage younger women to speak, to you know, voice their opinions without shaming them. Or giving them the moment to, you know, say, this is who I am, this is how I feel, and I'm not wait, I'm not changing that for anybody. And to applaud them in how they in how they deliver it. You know, um, I can't say I was fortunate enough to have that kind of mother who was supportive in that sense. Um, my father definitely, you know, he always gave me the conversations of, you know, um, not only are you black but you're a black woman and you have to remember that constantly. That's something that's never going to change. And society is always going to remind you that you're not only black, you're a black woman. So not only are you at the bottom, you're at the bottom of the bottom because above us comes the light skin colorism above that is the white people and um, white women. And then above that is the white men. You know what I'm saying? So we're completely at the bottom. So I, I, I admire and I and I will always stand for my father for having those conversations with me so very young. Like, listen, you're black and you're a woman. And that means that there will be times where people will silence you. There will be times where you have to say the ugly truth. There will be times where you're the only person in the room speaking up for what you believe in. And you have to be confident in that. And I don't feel like Many of us get those conversations. So I was so happy when I'm having this conversation with Jazz and I'm like, you know what? There are so many women who have been shut down, especially at a younger age, who have been shut down and it has silenced them for the rest of their lives. They never get the opportunity to feel whole again, to feel like they can speak on how they feel or not being called loud or aggressive or bitter or a bitch or all these words that people connect to being a black woman who's just voicing her opinion. And I think that brings our, our conversation so full circle because we began speaking about what do we want life to look like in old age and the varying of of answers from my last episode in this episode where Jazz said something so nurturing, so warm, so it just seems like the fit for what a woman should be. That's what femininity looks like at 80. You get what I'm saying? So this is what we've been ingrained in our society as this is what our gender role should look like. This is what femininity should look like from the gaze of a man. So it's only been up until recent years in the last decade or two where women are really reclaiming their time. Like, no, this is who I am. This is who you should see me as. This is still feminine. And I'm tired of men seeing feminine things as an insult. Them wrapping their mind around doing something feminine can really like make them insecure. Like, oh, what you put 
I don't know. Niggas be thinking the dumbest shit is feminine. Like like having an emotion or having feelings. Like, I ain't no bitch. I ain't feel like that. I ain't do I. I think that from the gaze of a man seeing femininity is hurting us more than helping us. And like I said, femininity can only be seen as happiness from a woman. That's when she's most feminine. I'm tired of taking these these answers or these uh, standards from men who don't live our lives. They don't know what it is to be a black woman. They can't tell us how we should be doing or how dainty we should be or how quiet we should be. We should be seen and not heard. We should be flies on the wall. We should. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of that. And if I'm if I'm Maxine Waters right now, I'm telling you, I'm reclaiming my time on that because I'm not taking no nigga who's telling me how I should be acting. I'm taking a nigga who's taking me for who I am right now because I'm feminine and I'm happy. And that's all it is. That's all I am. I'm happy, so I'm feminine. You get what I'm saying? So thank you guys for listening to this episode. It was a lot for me. And it took me to a a place of deep understanding. Like, you just have to be yourself, girl. You just have to give them what you got. Show your black girl magic in every essence. And who is willing to, to take it, we'll take it. And who you're not for, you're not for. And that's just it. And that's just it. So once again, y'all, thank you for tuning in to the 212. This is episode four. We have closed out a complete month of 212 and Wanish B with unsolicited opinions and advice. I enjoyed it so much. We are just hitting the tip of the iceberg. This is our first um, woman as a guest on my show, and we're going to have plenty more conversations. So much more in store for July. We're going to be doing some skincare conversations. We're going to be having a lot of um, entrepreneurship conversations. I'm just trying to open it up so that we are all getting our topics across. I want you guys to continue to um, send me messages about what you think we need to be talking about. I need you guys to continue sending me messages and let me know some topics that we can, you know, answer for you from my unsolicited opinion advice. You know what I'm saying? So thank you guys for tuning in for yet another week. Be blessed. Stay blessed. Stay safe. And don't y'all dare go celebrating that white man's holiday this weekend. <laughs> Let's find them motherfuckers and arrest the motherfuckers who killed Breonna Taylor. You, you feel me? You feel me? Y'all have a great weekend.